and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, nine, two, ten. Three, four, five, six, seven, What would happen if we chose to really tell the truth about ourselves? Like if we really, really just told the real truth of our lives. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm saying that it's my truth. You're listening to Hammered. I remember my daddy letting me go to the barber shop one time with him and my brother. I was around three or four years old, and it was a very vivid memory. We went into this barber's shop, and I always liked those little stripedy, candy cane-looking things that were outside of the door, you know, it would kind of twirl and look like a candy cane. And I always just wanted to go there because of that. I guess it was an international barbershop ornament. But I remember going in and they had shoeshine chairs. And you could climb up in these shoeshine chairs and, you know, they had the metal little feet up stirrups, basically. It's like for men, I guess. But uh, it was all men. They were all sitting in there with their crew cuts and, you know, their horn rim glasses and looking kind of mean and Southern. And I got up in one of those shoeshine chairs and I was just playing and kind of put my feet in them. And, and the barbershop owner, there was this big jar of bazooka bubble gum and he had a son that was maybe a year or two older than me. And he said, why don't you ask that little old girl if she wants a piece of that bubble gum? And so the little boy came over and, and he held the jar. And I was up in the chair and my brother was in the chair getting his hair buzzed. And when I bent down to reach inside of the jar to get a piece of bubble gum, my foot slipped and I fell through the feet of the chair and I landed on my head in the floor. And it was kind of like a concrete floor. It was it was kind of like a, maybe this place had been a gas station or some kind of weird, small, concrete, kind of cinder blockish building. But I landed and I Oh, I remember I just saw stars and heard the birds. And it was one of those, you know, when you just, the pain was so deep. And I could see this, like, a surprise. And then all the men busted out laughing. And nobody tried to help me. It, I, I got up and I, I was trying to hold back my tears because I knew not to cry. I knew don't start crying, don't start crying, don't start crying. And I couldn't control it. I remember my eyes started welling up and my father, he jumped up out of the chair and he grabbed me by the arm and he pointed at my brother and he said, you wait right here. And he took me out and he put me in that Chevrolet truck. He had this white old, probably a 1963 
62, I don't know, somewhere in there. <clears throat> and I remember the truck, the front of the truck looked like him. Like it had, it looked like his eyebrows and his face, like it looked kind of mean. But he put me in that truck and I remember him driving like a maniac up Buford Highway to go back to our house because we only lived like maybe a mile from this barber shop. It wasn't that far. And he got me home and we stormed through the kitchen and my mother says, what, what happened? What's wrong? Where's Wayne? And she starts following him. He's dragging me through by my arm and he was in a rage it was like his eyes would gloss over and he would, whoever he was would disappear and this other entity would come through him. And he threw me in the room and it was a den, kind of a den with a TV and he locked the door and he took his belt off, you know, like a man pulling his sword out of his holster and he pulled that skinny ass black belt and he just beat the shit out of me right then and there. And he was saying things like, you ain't going to embarrass me like that. I can't go nowhere without you causing a scene. And I remember just kind of dodging, trying to dodge and do a little dance to get away from the belt. <clears throat> but he and my mother was outside the door screaming and she would say that's enough that's enough billy she's had enough and finally he stopped and i was laying on the braided rug i'll never forget this braided rug and he slammed the door and my mother was out there and he said let her cool off don't you go in there and i remember my chin was quivering like when you cry and you can't control your lip and your chin and I started counting those braids. I remember I'm laying on my side, looking at the braided rug from a side view. And I took my little finger and I started going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I would count backwards, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I would count those little rows of braids. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Back in. And that would help me to calm down. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, nine, two, ten. Regina was starting to sort of take me under her wing as her friend. And this one day I came in to work and she said, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. And she said, listen, Stuart wants to have a meeting with you. And I'm like, why? And she said, I don't know. He's got something that he wants to talk to you about. Um, and he wanted me to ask you if you'd be available, maybe if you could knock off work a little early, maybe nine or something, and uh, and meet him back here and uh, go out with him. And it was sort of like a wink, wink, you know, like go out with him. And I'm like, ooh, and so she said, I mean, it's, it's, it would be really good business. It's a really good thing. And so I just got the feeling that she wanted me to go with him and go have this meeting. And I was, you know, kind of didn't want to, but I thought, well, he's the main boss. I guess I better. 
Now, by this time, my my ice cream route had really grown, and I had all these regulars, and so sometimes I would branch off and go down these streets, and because I'd gotten so fast, I'd covered so much territory that I was able to sort of, you know, branch off and try some new areas, because I always felt like, you know, there's kids that have never even seen an ice cream truck in some of these places, and so I remember this day, and I came down this street, ringing the bell, and this one boy, this one little boy, he was kind of chubby, and he had black hair and little bangs, and he started going, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream man, ice cream man, why stop, 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 and he chased me, so I stopped, and he goes, ice cream man, and he goes, I mean, I, I ice cream lady, and I laughed, and he was so cute. I said, what's your name? He said, Butch. And so I said, do you have any money? And he, he had a quarter. And so I showed him what he could get. He could get a, a banana mini bomb or a cherry mini bomb, the little popsicle. And I said, Butch, I said, you can get one of these, this one or this one. He'd go, um, da dum 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 and he would point at, like, the push-up. And I'd go, no, 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 you can't get that. Um, da dum 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 okay, I want that. And he'd point at the ice cream sandwich. Um, no, you can't get that. So I'd, I'd end up just having to give him the, the little mini bomb and get the quarter, and he was happy. You know, he would be happy with that. But he was an only child, and he was the only kid on that street that bought ice cream. He's the only person on that street that would buy an ice cream. But I really took a liking to him, and I thought, you know, I'll just go down there just for him. And this one day, I came down through there, and and he, he was kind of sad. And I said, what's happening? And he goes, I have to get rid of my kitty cat. And I went, oh, and he goes, do you want my kitty cat? And I said, no, I don't think I can take it. And he went and got it and brought it down there. And it was this cute little kitten. And and his mother came out and kind of had, you know, he, we can't keep it and all that. And, oh, of course, codependent as I am. Well, yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. So I take the little kitty cat and the kitty cat rides with me and, you know, I take it back and you know, have to introduce it to Dave. Now, now we're living in our condo and we've we've kind of formed this platonic kind of getting along kind of relationship where we just swept that that wreck and that gay bar scene under the rug. And now we're just sort of, you know, getting along and and he's he's kind of working on his route, you know, he's he's chasing me. He's, he's climbing the ladder in this competitive way, um, and he has now, he's reached number two in sales. And so I was, you know, I wasn't really nervous, but he was kind of encroaching on me. And it was kind of like one of those, if I can't have you, I'm going to pass you kind of things. And so I just avoided it and, you know, kind of let it go. But another one of my my streets I went down, another empty, empty street. And, you know, these neighborhoods were the more upper middle class type brick houses, a little bit newer than what I had grown up in. And so one day I go down the street and there's this one lady with this one little girl and another only child. And she got her a fudge sickle. 
and the mother was very nice, and and she's kind of looked at me, and she said, do you like wine? <laughs> and I laughed, and I go, yeah, I guess, you know, innocently. And she says, well, um, I make wine in my basement. And I said, really? You know, I'm imagining like a big barrel with grapes and shit, and I'm thinking, how? But anyway, she said, would you would you want a glass to try? Maybe if you come back tomorrow. And sure enough, I said, okay, well, of course that gets me to come back. So the next day I ring the bell as I come through and I see this little girl from a distance, you know, and, and I see some, you know, her walking to the end of the driveway and she's carrying something very carefully. And I can I can see her holding and it looked like a champagne glass or something, you know, and it was I mean, it was like a mirage in the desert. It was around three o'clock. I was probably getting a little bit uncomfortable physically and I see her and I just floor it and I just stomp on the gas and I get up there. and I'm like, hey, and she hands me this little plastic sort of. I guess like a to-go wine glass. It, I've never seen one like it. And it was this white wine and I chugged it. It was like one sip to me and gave her the fudge bar and moved on. And so she became a regular and, you know, just to come in there and get that little drink. But the sad part about that is that would trigger that, uh, craving. And then I would have to pull into the convenience store and get a quart of Miller Lite and stick it in the freezer. And and then I would begin to drink that, you know, by three o'clock every day. Um, and that was not a good thing, but I was doing the Coke to kind of counter that so I wouldn't get drunk. So I go out with Stuart. I meet him back at the the shop, and we get in his red car with his red face, and he took me to this place called Aspen, and it was like a bar, but it was like this, you know, there were people, like business people in there, and people, you know, wearing like suits, and you could tell it was more of like this after-hours kind of corporate kind of place. And at that point, you know, I had never been in a joint like that. Everywhere I went was pretty dark and seedy, but this was like a important people place. And he went on to ask me if I would be willing to move to Tampa, Florida, and that the company was going to open another branch, another division and he wanted me to be a branch manager along with, guess who, Dave. And I kind of, my stomach dropped. And then he said, of course, Bill will go and be the fleet manager like he is now. And Regina's going to come too, and Don. And I was like, Ooh, all of them? And and he said, I, the company will rent a house for you all. And you can help set up the shop, get the vans all decaled. There, he started naming all the things that we would do. And, and, uh, and so we kept drinking. And, you know, we were drinking mixed drinks, like cocktails, like adult drinks. And 
I just, the more I drank, of course, the more I started feeling his weirdness starting to seep over me. And so it got later and later and later. Now, at this point, he had rented an apartment on the south side of town in Atlanta because our branch was doing so well in sales that he wanted to be there more than he wanted to be in Kansas City. So before I know it, I'm flashing and I'm in his apartment and I'm starting to realize what's going to happen. And I literally had to turn him into someone else. I thought if I'm going to do this, then he has to become like a girl. Like I have to make him into a female because I can't even stomach to look at him or hear his voice. And I remember just dominating him. I remember just just pretending, you know, like he was some sort of doll. It was one of the weirdest things. And so after that, you know, here we go back to work and, you know, and he actually had a little girl. Her name was Holly and she seemed pretty normal. She was very cute and dressed nice. And uh, she would play with Chris, the girl behind the window. She had two little ragamuffin kids and her husband, Marty. He looked like David Crosby. Well, he would sort of babysit the kids. So Stuart's kid, Holly, would play with these two little kids, and they'd kind of be running around. So it had this little weird family, fucked-up family atmosphere. But after this encounter with Stuart, I kind of had him now under my reign. And Regina came back to me, and she said, whatever you talked to Stuart about or did with Stuart. He is just like in heaven and it just made me sick. Like, you know, and then she knew and I guess he was all enamored with me and oh, it was the grossest thing ever. And I started kind of manipulating him because now I thought, well, I'll just kind of get what I want as far as this ice cream. And so there was this big concert coming to South Georgia and Unadilla, Georgia. It was the Almond Brothers. They have this big outdoor show. It was an all-day event. And there was this new girl that was uh, driving an ice cream truck. Funny, 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 funny. Her name was Charlotte. She looked like uh, Liza Minnelli with big hips and no makeup. And I loved her. And we were just, just, she was a fun person. And I said, hey, I can, I bet I can talk Stuart into letting us go down there. And we can just take one van and we'll just pack it and we'll put two freezers. So sure enough, Stuart uh, tells Greg, you know, the Greg, the two freezer managers to install another freezer in the back of the van. So now my van has two freezers packed, stocked full, full of, ice cream, dry ice, everything. And we head out to South Georgia and we had a motel room and we go out all day and Charlotte and I would, would do some Coke and drink a little bit. And, you know, we were spending the night so we could do whatever we wanted and nobody would buy anything. 
they'd walk by and go, how's it going? And they were holding their beer up and we were like, ding, da, ding, da, ding. And nobody's buying anything. And we were like, oh, hell, nobody's buying anything. Well, we kind of didn't care because we were having fun and, you know, hearing the Almond Brothers and all the other bands, you know. And so, but we came back with our tail tucked between our legs because we sold one Eskimo pie. Well, needless to say, Stuart was not happy. And I said, oh, we'll, we'll make it up. Don't worry. So July 4th comes around. And all I had heard about from Bill was July 4th, July 4th. You got to find your place. You got to get downtown. So I packed up my, my ice cream. You know, I still had a lot of leftover. And I went downtown. And I had no idea where I was going. I knew there was a big parade that came through. And so I went to Peachtree. And I got on Peachtree Street. And then I noticed all these people. And so I went up a side street and they had some cones blocking one of the streets, which was West Peachtree. So I got out of my van. Nobody was looking. And I moved the cones, drove my van through the cones and then put the cones back and went up a one way street was actually the street where the parade was going to be coming down and people were lining on both sides. And one of the a police officers started flagging me down. Pull over, pull over. And I'm playing dumb. I went, hey. He said, what are you doing on this street? How'd you get in here? And I said, um, well, I was coming up that way. And these people just kind of told me to come on through. And they moved so I could come through so I could turn around. He goes, well, you don't have time to turn around. And he said, you're going to have to you're going to have to jump on this curb. And so he made all these people move out of the way. And it was right at the MARTA station where the escalator came up from the train. So I jumped the curb, I backed up, and I parked it. And there I was in the middle of this parade, in the middle of you know the hot Georgia summer, July 4th, people everywhere. And I started selling and I started selling and it was so fast and furious. I couldn't even keep up. People didn't even want their change. I sold every single ice cream I had. I ran out of change. So people just gave me the money. It was hot and they were wanting anything they could get their hands on. There was no vendors around. No vendors were allowed, but the police just blew it off and let me go ahead and sell it. So I got to come back and I got back and I reloaded and then I went over to Stone Mountain and I found this parking place where my family used to go to watch the fireworks and I eased into that place and it was dark, you know, and before the fireworks started and kind of rang the bell a little and that just set a frenzy off and, and, and so I sold out again and I was able to, to make it up to Stewart because now I had this like, 50 some odd year old man that I had to please psychologically and financially. And so that made up for the trip to, to South Georgia. I'd also bought a motorcycle by this time because of crashing my car. I bought it from a teenager that was in an apartment complex that I sold ice cream in. He couldn't afford to make his payments. And so his mother came out and they ended up signing it over and I gave them the money and now I had this Yamaha special. It was kind of maroon. It was cool. And uh, a showy helmet with a face shield, a smoke face shield. And I had to park that thing inside our foyer, inside the condo, because I didn't have any insurance on it. Well, I came in one night 
and Dave wasn't in the condo, but he was, I could tell he'd been there and I heard laughing next door. So I went over and these, these guys had moved in, these single guys. And I went over and I go, Hey, how's, what are y'all doing? And they were drinking and, and Dave was being real arrogant and real weird. And he was, he was kind of drunk and he started saying things to me like, Hey, where's your motorcycle? And I said, why? And he goes, where's your keys to your motorcycle? I'm going to ride it. And I go, no, you're not. He goes, yeah, I'm going to find the keys and I'm going to ride it. And there's nothing you can do about it. He goes, you don't even know how to ride it. I said, shut up, Dave. And he just kept on and on and he was really provoking me. And it started making me nervous because you know, I, I knew there was a lot of rage underneath that, and I, I wasn't sure what he was getting at. And he said in front of these guys, you don't even know how to ride it. You're nothing but a goddamn dyke. Well, something inside of me just slapped him right in the face. And I had never slapped anybody in my life. I I mean, a slap, like with your hand on their face, like that connection, like fast and hard. And I'd, I'd seen it in movies, but I'd never done it. And it was such a reflex. It was not planned. And everybody got quiet and I stormed out. I left. I went into the condo. Well, I heard the door behind me and he came behind me and he put his hand on my shoulder And when he spun me around, he took his fist and he gutter punched me right in the nose. Knocked me flat. Well, honey, it was on. Now, I can tap into some pretty hardcore rage but we got into a knockdown drag out and it went through this entire condo like a fucking tornado. Furniture, everything just completely exploding and being thrown and and he started chasing me and I started climbing the stairs and he was he was grabbing at my feet. I got up to my bedroom and I tried to shut the door and he burst through the door. I grabbed a lamp off my my nightstand and I swung it. When I swung the bottom ceramic part, it broke and it cut his toe. It literally almost cut off his pinky toe. He, he had put his foot up in the air like a karate kick or some shit. So blood is now going all over the white carpet but he actually tackles me on the waterbed. He gets me in a headlock in his elbow and his muscle, his bicep, and he proceeds to beat my face into a pulp. Well, the next thing I know, he has picked me up and put me in my bathtub, in my, my own personal bathroom, and he left me, threw me in there, And I remember laying there and I could hear him running downstairs. And then I heard him screaming, Dad, Dad. It was like he'd called his dad on the phone and he said, I've I've got a meat cleaver and I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her. 
Well, I could feel my face start to swell. I could feel my face like I, I, I could not hardly see. And I reached up above me and I turned on the cold water and my head was under the spigot and the water kind of came over and started pouring on my face. And then I, I kind of turned it off and I remember I was wearing this Mickey Mouse t-shirt and I'd cut the sleeves off. And my dad had bought me that Mickey Mouse t-shirt when Epcot opened down in Orlando. And he brought me that back as a gift. And I kind of liked that shirt. And it was one of the only things I remember my daddy really intentionally getting for me. And I held on to that Mickey Mouse shirt for a real long time. But this little voice went through my head when I looked down at my chest and I saw this blood and it said, some things never change. And then the next thing I knew, there were paramedics and firemen and police, and they picked me up out of the bathtub, and they took me downstairs, and they put me in this chair. Well, Dave's father had shown up, and he came over, and he sat down on the fireplace hearth right beside me, kind of knee to knee, and I'm in this chair, and he's just staring at me. And he had this thick mustache and this kind of salt and pepper hair. And, you know, he was a military man and he was important and he was stern. And a woman police came to me and she was, she said, Jill, we want to know if you are going to press charges against this man. And I, I just sat there and I, I, I couldn't answer. I couldn't speak. I was speechless. I was hurting. And she said, I'm going to give you a few minutes to think about it. And she turned around and walked away. Well, his father leaned forward and he looked me in the eye and he said, if you press charges against my son, I will expose you to your family. Well, that to me would have been death. That to me would have been worse than death because I would have had to live with it. And so when the lady police came back and said, have you made a decision? I said, uh-uh, I, I, hit, I hit him first. I started the fight. And she kept pleading with me. And I, I wouldn't leave. And I wouldn't even let him take me to the hospital. I didn't let him stitch up my eye. I wouldn't let him do anything. I just, I just wanted to go lay down. I just wanted to forget about it. I just wanted to go to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and Dave was sitting on the side of the bed crying, stuffing painkillers in my bottom lip. My lips were so swollen. And I said, what the fuck are you doing? Get off of me. And I remember I got up and I was so sick and sore. And when I looked in the mirror, I had blood coming out of both ears my mouth looked like I'd eaten a pack of fucking Oreo cookies. I had the black ring around my mouth and my lips were swollen and my eyes were hanging. My eyebrows were hanging over my eyes. I looked like a monster and I got scared and I called my mother. Now, at this point, my mother knew I was living with Dave 
my roommate, and I had actually taken her by his her office one day, and she met him. He was wearing a white turtleneck, and she thought he was so handsome. And I think she was in heaven at the fact that I had a male in my life. She had no idea, no idea what was happening to her daughter. And when I called her, she was at work, and I broke, and I started crying. I said, Mama something bad happened. And she said, what, what, what? We we had a fight. Who? And I said, Dave and I, where are you? And I told her, and she said, can you get to my house? Can you get to my house? And I, I said, yes. And I left. I finally got myself together and took a shower, and I got the ice cream truck, and I was driving on Jimmy Carter Boulevard once again, the infamous street. And I would put on sunglasses to hide my eyes. Well, lo and behold, in traffic, there was my mother. And she looked up and saw me in the ice cream truck. And I'll never forget her face and her mouth. And I read her lips and it was, oh, my God. And by the time we got to her house, she had called my brother and they took me to the hospital. And the hospital called the police Here comes another interrogation. Who did this to you? My brother was drilling me. Who did this to you? And I wouldn't tell. I couldn't tell. And I said, I started it. I started it. And I just swore by that. I swore by I started it. I hit him first. I started the fight. And it was a horrible, horrible time. And my mother was saying, you cannot. You cannot move down to Florida with these people. You cannot do this, Jill. And I remember thinking, I really shouldn't, you know. And there was a part of me that was that was kind of thinking I would stay and not go and just stay at the Atlanta branch and and keep doing what I was doing. But see, I had this I had this drive and this like curiosity, like what's next? Like there's got to be more. Like like where could I go with this? Like 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 what's gonna happen? And I just had to do it. And then I remember them loading the moving van, and I remember seeing the last thing to go on the moving van was my motorcycle. And they shut that door, and it was early, early morning, and I was getting into Regina's car with the kitty cat. By the way, the kitty cat had gotten a name because one night we were watching TV, and we had ordered a pizza, Dave and I, and we ordered anchovies on the pizza, which I, I don't think I could stomach that now. But at that time, I think when you drink a lot, you kind of crave salt. And I turned around and I remember I turned back around and that little kitty was up in the middle of that pizza. And I screamed, get off the pizza. And on TV, there was a commercial. It was an ocean spray cranberry commercial. And it was advertising the juice. And it said, cranberry, cran apple. And it was a man pushing a cart through like a European street. And I laughed. I said, cranberry. I said, that's his name. That's his name. His name's cranberry. And so I put Cranberry in the Toyota Celica Supra with the sunroof. 
and got in with Regina and my mouth still had some bruises around it and the sun was coming up and we were on our way to Tampa. Hammered is recorded and produced in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. It's narrated by Jill Haney, produced by Maggie Briggs and Jill Haney, and with sound design, editing, and music by Alexander Rodriguez. Our beautiful artwork was created by Lauren Caddick, and we'd like to send a special thanks out there to Minnie and Robin. You can check out our website, podcasthammered.com, and follow us on social media for updates. 